Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, where we talk about all things marketing and advertising. I'm Simon Gwynn, Campaign's Acting News Editor, and in this week's episode, our UK editor, Maisie McCabe, will be speaking to Kev Chesters and Mick Mahoney, the strategy and creative partners at Harbour, about their new book, The Creative Nudge. That's coming up later on, but first, Maisie is joining me to talk about some of the week's top stories and best creative work. Maisie, on to advertising, uh, and the story dominating the industry over the last month has, of course, been the JWT Employment Tribunal, in which two male creatives, Chaz Bayfield and Dave Jenner, won a case against their former employer for sex discrimination. JWT, of course, is now part of uh, Wonderman Thompson. Maisie, I think it's probably fair to say that almost all of our readers will follow this quite closely, um, but it is summer, and I'd like to hope that at least a couple of listeners might have managed to escape to a, a beach in the Caribbean with their phone switched off for a while. That sounds lovely. For those people, can you give us a quick uh, rundown of what's happened and, and some of the things that we've learned in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that's quite interesting is if you look through the judgment, just quite how dire a situation JWT was um, around this time. If you look at the stats, I think James Whitehead, who was chief exec at the time, described the business having declined catastrophically. Revenue fell £49 million to £30 million, so that's like over 60% over two years. Um, And so, I mean, it's obvious that JWT um, was in a difficult position. But basically what they did is um, they looked to reduce the size of their creative department um, and in doing so made five male creative directors redundant. Now, um, earlier in the year, JWT's ECD, a man called Lucas Pion, had stood at a conference um, and alongside Joe Wallace, who was a creative director, so the same level as the men who were later redundant, and talked about the need to push forward JWT's diversity metrics and Joe described um, wanting to obliterate the perception and reputation of JWT as being full of posh white men. Some of the men who were made redundant highlighted this speech um, at the time and said it made them uncomfortable um, and then later were made redundant as part of this process. They then brought a claim against JWT on various grounds um, and it was found in their favour in, in just the kind of sex discrimination grounds. Um, and one of the amazing reasons for that was, I mean, it's quite shocking for a, a company like JWT, but their, you know, note taking and record taking during this process was very poor and they had very little to determine why they had made these people redundant um, and and to prove that it wasn't because of their sex. Now, um, a lot of the attention in in how the story's been covered has turned on uh, Joe Wallace, hasn't it? Um, Despite the fact that, as you said, um, when she made um, that uh, speech, which has been referenced so many times, uh, she was on stage along with uh, Lucas Pion, who was her senior at the ECD at the agency. And uh, in particular, there's been quite an ugly story in in the mail, um, which very much focused on her personally, even though she has uh, nothing to do with these uh, decisions that were at the heart of this uh, tribunal. Um, so c- can you tell us about what, why the Mail's been criticised for that coverage? Well, I mean, it's depressingly familiar approach from the Mail Mail online, I should say. I've, I, I've certainly read it online and probably most people have done. And so in telling the story about, about these men and the, and the judgment that, that's found in their favour, they basically gave far, you know, undue prominence to a woman who essentially was not involved in the process she wasn't 
part of the decision to make these people redundant. Yeah, she was referred to all the way through. Her partner was referred to. There were pictures of her, presumably taken from social media feeds or somewhere that, you know, pictures of her, some of which were, you know, in bikinis. And then you had pictures of obviously Chaz, who's one of the men involved in process, fully clothed. Really bizarre approach to take to the story. Um, And one that seems motivated by, um, you know, driving clicks and kind of, you know, encouraging people who are are part of the set. You know, they would see a sort of anti-woke kind of pushback, I suppose. Um, And, um, you know, it's just just really depressing, really, that, uh, uh, that somebody of any gender would be brought into a story in this way when they really didn't have anything to do with it. Mm, it's very disheartening. Um, Joe Wallace appeared on um, Channel 4 News uh, around the time this was happening. Um, she was interviewed by Kathy Newman and um, she made a, a, a great point, which is that she, these men, um, Chaz Bayfield and Dave Jenner, had said that they felt targeted and you know she could completely um, empathise with that because she herself has been made a target for something she had absolutely nothing to do with. It's very unfortunate that the, the story has turned into this, um, but uh, nevertheless, it's something with some massive ramifications for um, obviously this one particular company, but the industry as a whole, I think. Um, so what does this outcome mean, do you think, for agencies that are trying to find ways to improve their diversity? If you want to have a more diverse workforce, just making a bunch of people, male, white, men white men redundant is is not a thorough thought through intelligent way to do it you know it's about kind of driving change getting you know create thinking about inclusivity as well as diversity and getting people in at the bottom but also supporting them through through their kind of career and making sure that people have from all sorts of diverse backgrounds are kind of getting through into the senior management. I suspect this is a, you know, it's a bit of an outlier of a judgment. And I hope that people from more like smaller represented groups get the same judgment where relevant and necessary. You know, it must have been a really difficult process for everyone to go through. Yes, absolutely. Um, so many people have faced discrimination in work, both recently and, and in the past. Um, and when it comes to sex discrimination, it's almost always women, of course, who, who, who suffer from that. Um, and um, if this um, results in the, the focus turning away from that, I think it would be um, it would be disastrous, really, for, for society and for the industry. It's certainly one to uh, to, to keep an eye on, though. So um, before we move on to the ads, uh, another story you can read about on our website, campaignlive.co.uk, this week is about Just Eat Takeaway, the food delivery uh, goliath deciding to consolidate its global media planning and buying. Uh, At the moment, UM, which is part of IPG Media Brands, handles media for Just Eat, while Dentsu has the media for Takeaway.com. They obviously merged earlier this year. So uh, it's likely to be good news for one of those and and, um, bad for the other. Maisie, um, can you give us a bit of the background to what's happening here? I think this kind of follows the Just Eat takeaway.com merger we wrote quite extensively i think you wrote lots of the stories about the just eat pitch um on the advertising side and obviously mccann emerged victorious um they'd had the just eat account in the uk um and i think one of the things that was not immediately apparent coming from a sort of uk perspective was that this is about a merger of two businesses and actually arguably the takeaway.com business or team is in the ascendant as opposed to just eat i mean just eat is obviously very familiar to us in the uk um but kind of in terms of the management structure 
what I'd been told by people involved was that actually it's, it's sort of the just the, it's the takeaway.com people who are kind of running the show. And so I guess it's, you know, it's an opportunity for for one of those brands or, or potentially a, a kind of upstart challenger to kind of help build the journey of, um, you know, what's a really interesting company. It's obviously still often covered by the business press. It's a big market and, and there's lots to pay for. Yeah. And I think what you said there is is interesting. It's it's a reminder probably that we can all be a, a little bit parochial sometimes in in our outlook. It's it's a big world out there and uh, it's not all about um, the, the country that we're in right now. Um, and w- what else is going on in, um, in new business right now? Well, I think there's a lot of pitching. I mean, one of the things that's come across, um, we've been told a few times, is actually agencies are being a bit more discerning potentially about opportunities. Um, I think... You know, it's fair to say that often there's been a proper chasing of revenue and agencies going for all sorts of bits and pieces. But, um, but you know, we, we're now hearing more often than usual about agencies that are deciding to say not to pitch for an account because whether that's because they don't think the scope's big enough or, you know, they're not sure how good a chance they have of winning or, or actually what's coming across sometimes is that the staff are burnt out. They've been working from home for 18 months and, you know, they really can't ask them to spend their summer pitching for business that they might not even get. Yeah, I think that's one of the consequences of uh, of the pandemic, which um, we're going to probably still be seeing for, for some time. Uh, new business definitely slowed down at points last year and then it's it's really it really does seem to have picked up this year and um and at the same time the industry's been reshaped and, and uh, lives are in flux so um it's a, it's definitely a tough time for those those agencies so uh without further ado let's talk about some ads Maisie uh so first up we have the latest campaign from um Neverland for Ladbrooks the agency previously created a Euro 2020 ad for the betting brand, uh, which featured an army of drummers, and they've uh, reused that motif in this new work to mark the start of the football season. So it's a pair of two ads for different points in the week, one for the build-up, uh, one for um, which is called The Wait, and the other's called Game Day. The campaign was created by Lloyd Daniel and Rich Kennedy and directed by Joe Connor through Rogue Films, and media is handled by the Seven Stars. The teams are ready. Whether you're at home or on the grounds, hold on tight. This is it. Macy, what do you make of those? Yeah, I think yeah, they're nice, uplifting ads. I feel a little bit personally conflicted about gambling advertising. If I'm honest, I have, um, you know, a family member who who had a gambling addiction at one stage. So as long as it's everyone manages to stop when it stops becoming fun, then I appreciate it's a pastime that people enjoy. Um, and for, in terms of Labrooks, I mean, it's, you know, these are much more, you know, beautifully crafted, thoughtful, emotional ads than some of the work that Labrooks has done in the past and other gambling apps. Um, brands have done so I certainly think that they're, they're they're kind of moving the brand forward but I just hope there's sort of you know real hard kind of CSR commitment around kind of the impact of them as a as a company as well mm. I, I think um, 
they they are doing something interesting in Netherlands, taking uh, the brand in, in an interesting direction. They're definitely more creatively ful- fulfilling, but their their objective has been to try and take the excitement of gambling, uh, what, you know, to move away from that being the, the focus of what they're talking about, and um, to make it more about the passion of of the sport. You know, it's still the fact that gambling is something that can enhance that for people, which maybe is a bit problematic. Um, but I think they are probably moving in the right direction. I agree with you though. What you're saying about the, the moral qualms overall, and I think it's probably um, that this sector is not going to be a, a long-term opportunity for, for agencies, if we're, if we're being honest. But uh, next up, we've got The Trap, which is the third in ITV's campaign, Drama versus Reality, from Uncommon Creative Studios. Uncommon doesn't credit any individuals, um, but this ad was directed by Tom Hooper, uh, who, of course, is known for making uh, classic hit films such as Cats, uh, one of the most beloved uh, movies of, of the last couple of years, uh, but also The King's Speech and Les Mis. Um, and uh, this one's produced by Smuggler. What is drama anyway? It's just a load of words and people pretending. Reality. Now that's proper talent. Yeah. Oh my days, that is the cutest dog I've ever seen. Uncommon is a great example of what a brand and an agency can do when they kind of grow and develop together. And these ads are really fun because, I mean, they're obviously quite dark, some of them, but, you know, there's this idea of putting drama and reality television up against each other in a fight for our attention. It's quite a neat idea. And then they're kind of executed feature films almost, um, and so they're fun to watch. And then they're good and interesting and they're good juxtaposed to, to the kind of the other work around BLM or, or kind of mental health, which are, you know, really different in kind of substance and, and form. Yeah, I agree. I think Uncommon's work for ITV has been absolutely superb, definitely some of the creative highlights of the last couple of years. Um, and uh, I I love how dark these ads are. They are dark as um, I'm not sure if I can say rude words on the podcast, but, you know, I'm sure, you know what I was getting at there. Um, so um, Maisie, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks very much for joining me to chat about the stories and uh, the ads uh, that are making waves this week. Uh, and now we're going to go over to your interview with uh, Kev Chesters and Mick Mahoney from Harbour to talk about their new book. I'm here with Kev Chesters and Mick Mahoney, the strategy and creative partners at Harbour and newly published authors of The Creative Nudge. Um, so I, to kick us off, could one of you give us a, a sort of brief explanation of, of nudge theory, just for, for anyone who might not have heard it? Nudge theory is not a new thing. It's been around as a, as a discipline, you know, for probably 10, 12 years. You know, you look at um, Richard Taylor, you look at... Um, Daniel Kahneman, you know, it's been around, but it's, it's just little things that you do in order to influence behavior. You know, you imagine probably the simplest example of a nudge would be putting your gym kit by the front door, you know, to make sure that in the morning you, you pick it up and you go, it's little things that you do that make a big difference in your life. I think the change that there is with the creative nudge, the book, is one of the things that um, we've noticed was this seems to be something that everybody in our game knows about, particularly strategists and um, you know planners, if you like. 
and it's been something that's sort of in the boardroom people kind of have got to know about and sort of in boardrooms and in government I mean there's lots of you know David Cameron had the nudge unit there's other ones in you know Australia and the US and the various governments it's a bit odd because I found that you know if I was ever mentioning this at a dinner party or in a pub, hence why no one invites me to dinner parties or wants to hang around. <laughs> yeah, you obviously got great <laughs> chat, Kev. <laughs> you know, if ever I mentioned it to people, you know, like my mum or whatever, they, they wouldn't know anything about it. And it was a bit odd, Mick and I were talking about this, but it was almost like, why are people keeping this to themselves? You know, it almost seemed a little bit sinister. We actually, when we were with the publishers talking about it, we kept trying to impress upon them that it it wasn't a sort of an industry book. It was a sort of a every person sort of book. Um, I mean, obviously it's got applications to the industry, you know, and, and in some ways sort of more than we realised possibly at the time. But when we were the publishers, I said, you know, I want it to be on sale in Tesco's at the till. And the publisher looked at us like really witheringly and said, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so no, we do. No, no you don't. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be on sale at Tesco's. Well, they don't have chocolate anymore, do they? They don't really choc- they don't have well, chocolate. Well, that's good. Tesco Perhaps they should have so put it there instead of the chocolate. You know. That'd be great. And, <laughs> and uh, children could buy it. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> and so in terms of the, the kind of, I guess, um, obviously you go through in the book kind of a various, like a number of lessons and then I suppose nudges that would help a person kind of learn that lesson or implement it into their lives. Which which is your favourite lesson, I suppose? I have to say, my, my favourite chapter is chapter six, which is the chapter on being unreasonable. Being unreasonable doesn't mean, you know, being a dick, right? It doesn't. It just means being prepared to dissent and being prepared to be different and being prepared to not always go along with the crowd. And one of the biggest issues that we have, particularly in business, is that we reward consensus. We reward everyone agreeing. You know, if you look in appraisals and various things, you know, are they a team player? You know, does everybody agree? Have we got to a quorum? And if you're going to be, do something different, and let's face it, if you look in the dictionary of the word creative, in any dictionary, it always contains the word original. And so you can't be creative if it's not different. So you have to be prepared to dissent. My favourite nudges in this chapter, it's called What Would Gaga Do? <laughs> what you have to imagine in yourself is whatever it is that you're thinking of doing or you're thinking of putting forward as a thought, you ask yourself what would Gaga do? And the reason you do that is if you were going to go along to uh, an evening, a black tie event, a, a red carpet night, and you, everyone was wearing a black dress, if you decided to go wearing a white dress, that would seem unreasonable. That would seem very brave. That would seem very different. Gaga went to her gala wearing a dress made of raw meat. <laughs> so in the context of bravery and unreasonableness, your black dress suddenly doesn't seem, or white dress doesn't seem like a particularly brave move. There's a great quote, actually, um, that we used in the book in that chapter before I come on to tell you what my favourite chapter is but it's um, and I've sort of I used to use it I suppose when I was a, a junior or younger creative to sort of explain errant behaviour now I now appreciate it as a, a an older more mature creative you know but at the time I used to sort of you know use it I suppose as justification that reasonable men uh, shape themselves to fit the world unreasonable men 
shape the world to fit themselves. The future of all progress is in the hands of unreasonable men. And you, you sort of think about it, and it's absolutely true. Anybody that accepts the status quo don't expect anything other than the status quo in return. My favourite chapter it was actually this next one. It's hate consensus. Again, we, we we started it with a quote, and it's sort of a, unsurprising for me, a horse-related quote. And it says, uh, Alec Isagonis, you know the the uh, car designer the, who famously des, uh, designed the Mini? It's one of our great, great sort of industrial designers, he said a camel is a horse designed by a committee. And I think, you know, there's a there's a lot of truth in that. And I think there's been a, a real sort of push for, I mean, a lot of the right reasons in truth, I would say. There's been a real push in a lot of creative industries to everyone feel included. And, you know, it's sort of like a, we all work together and, you know, all that stuff. And that is good. But I think certainly... Creativity demands that you have a point of view. It demands that you're brave enough to go your own direction, be your own person, you know, think your own thoughts. And hate consensus is a sort of reminder to everybody that if everyone's agreeing over something, maybe you should be the one that doesn't, you know, not, not, you know, again, not to be an idiot about it, but just to challenge thinking, you know, just to sort of really challenge thinking. You've got to always you know, find ways of of going against the sort of the, the, the grain and the norms. And every time you see sort of norms forming, challenge them. So in terms of the nudges, obviously there's quite a lot of specific things um, that you suggest at the end of each chapter that people do. I mean, have you like fully incorporated them into your life now? Do you kind of sing, let it go as you're wandering around? Or, yeah, yeah, we always you did know, that. <laughs> have you got little magnifying glasses uh, on your key you know, it's, it's sort of funny. I, I did think that. <laughs> I did think that recently. <laughs> I wonder how many books are written by people that don't take their own advice. Um, <laughs> but I think all the things that we wrote about that they're, they're all they're all things that are so hardwired into me. I, I don't know that I'd know to be another way, if you know what I mean. The, the point of them is you can do one or two of them. You can do all of them. You can do a mix of them. Or you can write your own. You can think of your own. You know, the principle is the antidote. You know, the antidote in each chapter, which is, you know, challenge everything, get comfortable with chaos, you know, don't be afraid to be afraid, agree to disagree. You know, these are the antidotes to overcome, you know, the problem. So, so the key premise of the book is that, you know, original thinking, you know, the first quote in the book is still my favourite one, which, you know, creativity is the key to more interesting and happy life, right? So in life, if we know that it's a more interesting and fun life, if it's creative, and then if you apply it to our industry, if we know, and we do know, but it's more commercially effective to do creative and interesting and original things. We know this, right? So why is it that everybody, why does every category like drown in a sea of same? Why are all the ideas the same? Why are all the creative reviews full of the same references? Why I love most about this book, and probably Mick doesn't as much, but I definitely do, is I think it's actually an excuse. I think we are excusing people for why this doesn't happen. Because actually... 50,000 years of human evolution and then another 5,000 years of societal civilization has got in the way of doing this. You've got, you know, your biology will stop you doing it because if you do new and different and interesting things, it got you killed. 
and sociology and society will stop you doing it because you'll be shunned by stepping away from the herd and not doing what is accepted. So you have to break your natural programming. And that's why you need the nudges. But they have to be nudges. Because you can't just turn around to someone and go, do you know what? Be more creative today. Because you're, you're operating against so much. You're going so much against the tide. It would be like going up to an you know, a, arachnophobe and going, well, tarantula day today. There's a big bucket of them over there. Everyone pick one up. Start messing about. You, know, you can't do it. You're going to have to do it like all phobia therapy. Slowly edge your way into it. Rory um, Sutherland did an interview with Kate. Um, for us and was on the podcast a little while ago and he was talking about the fact that the industry has managed to kind of pigeonhole creativity as something done by a particular department. We both feel sort of very strongly about that actually um, and you know I suppose you know people like me because of my job title you know I have to sort of speak up about that kind of thing you know I think I do actually really believe that it, we're not basically saying to everyone oh you're all creative so everyone writes the ads we're not we're not saying that, but what we are saying is you can bring creativity to everything, to every department. Advertising has defined creativity as a product, and the product being the advert. We are able to, you know, have a broader view of creativity. Kevin and I actually, the way we work is to is to is to identify the behaviours of a brand. Do you think creativity should be applied to business problems more broadly? Definitely, definitely. There was a really lovely bit in the book, and it sort of sort of brings a bit of a tear to your eye. If you want to know the significance of uh, creative thinking, you know, when it's applied to something that you wouldn't consider in any way, shape or form to be a creative subject, there's a really lovely story about this Hungarian mathematician who, in the Second World War, he was sort of part of the um, intelligence service for the, with the RAF. And all, all these sort of really, really wise airmen and engineers and everything all came together to work out how could they protect uh, the fighter pilots better so what they did was they looked at all the planes that came back and looked at where all the bullet holes were and they all agreed that the best thing to do was to protect all the bits where all the bullet holes were and this one guy said well surely it's better to protect everywhere else he said, because you're only looking at the planes that came home. And actually they did. And they saved countless lives as a consequence. That's creativity. I think the widening of the definition of creativity is so, so important. I think on, on two levels. I think because we didn't write it as an industry book, you know, first level for me is you can actually apply original and different thinking to anything. And if I look at the pandemic and everything that's just happened, you know, Someone asked me the other day, oh, do you think it's the right time to bring this out? You know, like surely everyone's creativity has been atrophied, hasn't it? You know, during the pandemic. And it's actually exactly the opposite. You know, in the first lockdown, I think it was something like 622% increase in the Open University of people signing up for creative courses, mostly creative writing. That was the most popular. 50% of women took up a creative hobby in the first lockdown. If you think of all of us doing all the sourdoughing and gardening and everyone having to suddenly become teachers at home, you know, and think differently and interestingly about how to motivate their kids. The thing that is interesting for me, though, about within an agency environment, regardless of what, whether you're talking about an ad agency or a media agency or, or a PR agency or whatever, is you can bring creative and original thinking to what you do. You know, account management create the conditions within which things thrive. So if you haven't got 
the budget maybe, or you haven't got it. What is the different and original way of solving the problem? You can do it in finance. You can do it in all sorts of ways. And for me, it's just how do you think differently? Because if you think of creative as a department, not as a skill, then you abdicate responsibility for thinking differently about what you do. Well, thank you very much. It was really, really interesting chat. And I, I hope, you know, I hope the book goes well. And um, yeah, the conversation continues. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the campaign podcast and a big thank you to Maisie McCabe, Kev Chesters and Mick Mahoney for joining us this week. You can read news and analysis, including extensive coverage of the JWT case at our website, campaignlive.co.uk. If you're a first time listener, please do subscribe and leave a review. Have a great weekend and I hope you can join us again next week.